1: I decided that after the election I'd focus exclusively on building Christ's army. I said that, after all, we can't do anything about the election fraud. It's all in God's hands now. Well, I was wrong. Yes, the election's certainly in God's hands, but from the beginning of time He will that we cooperate with Him in every just cause. I'll be talking about that and a whole lot more in this week's episode.
0: Have you heard? A brand new translation of the Holy Bible is available for Catholics. Introducing the English Standard Version Catholic Edition, the most beautiful and readable Catholic translation of the Bible. If you've ever had difficulty reading the Bible or are looking for the perfect gift this holiday season, this is the Bible for you. The new translation includes changes to nearly 60,000 words from the Revised Standard Version and is the best combination of a literal translation written in smooth and readable English. Available in bonded leather, hardcover, or softcover, the ESV Catholic Edition is a Bible you will love and a translation you can trust. To learn more about the ESV Catholic Edition or to purchase your copy, visit catholicbible.org. Again, that's www.catholicbible.org.
1: Before moving on to the topic at hand, I want to remind you that this is the last opportunity to register for a drawing that we're having today. Then we'll announce the first place winner next week in episode 101 on December 9th. This is our way of saying thanks for being a loyal listener to the Cantankerous Catholic. We're giving away a lot of prizes. The first prize is a digital version of the 1913 edition of the Catholic Encyclopedia, consisting of 16 volumes and valued at $3,200. Once you do a little research, you'll find that this is an incredible and almost inaccessible prize. We have 25 Second Prizes, a digital book collection consisting of 40 of the works of G.K. Chesterton, valued at $550. Chesterton was so great a Catholic writer of the early 20th century that there are still Chesterton literary clubs throughout the world. Finally, we have 53rd Prizes. A digital book collection of 27 volumes of the works of St. John Henry Cardinal Newman, perhaps the greatest defender of the Catholic faith in the English speaking world in the 19th century. This collection is valued at over $300. Also, 10 lucky winners will get a hard copy of the new Augustine Bible from my friends at Augustine Institute. This is the easiest to read version on the market, and it's one that's become my default version. All you have to do to register is click the drawing link in the show notes for this episode and fill out the form that pops up in your browser. You can find it either by clicking the show notes button in the podcast player or visit this episode at cantankerouscatholic.com. You'll find the link in the resources section. The deadline for registration is 5 p.m. Central Standard Time today. Since everyone who registers will receive at least one prize, be sure to whitelist my emails or check your junk mail folder over the next week to read the email I send out with a link to your free gift. Sign up today and let me thank you for being a loyal listener. Now let's talk about election results, voter fraud, and what you and I can do about it. The first thing that most obviously needs to be mentioned pertains to Catholics specifically. If you voted for Joe Biden and call yourself a Catholic, please stop calling yourself a Catholic. You're not a Catholic. You might say, Joe, where do you get off telling me I'm not a Catholic just because I voted for Biden? Well, because it's true. Biden and the demonic Democrats stand for and promote everything the constant 2,000-year teaching of the Church stands against. The Democratic Party and Biden, by both admission and omission, stand for abortion, artificial contraception, euthanasia, homosexuality, transgenderism, socialism, communism, identity politics, which is really nothing more than dressed-up racism, criminalizing our ability to defend ourselves, and criminalizing our thoughts and speech if we disagree with anything they promote. Fact of the matter is, I've shown in the past these platform and policy items are aligned with the Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple. In fact, many of the Democratic Party platform statements are quoted verbatim from these two satanic organizations' documents that were written before the demonic Democrats ever took those positions as their own. Maybe you're saying, but Joe's a Catholic. Aren't you listening to me? No, he's not a Catholic. I could say I'm the king of Mesopotamia, but that wouldn't make it true. His claim to Catholicism is more of what the Democrats are best at, deception. Biden may have been a Catholic at one time, but he sold his soul for something as cheap and superficial as political power and influence. There's no doubt he's in league with the devil. And based on what I've already told you, a very strong case can be made that anyone who voted for Biden and continues calling himself or herself a Catholic is also in league with the devil, God's enemy. If you consider yourself a Catholic and you're a Biden voter, is that the state you want your soul in on the day you're judged? I hope not. The next most obvious thing to be addressed is the current status of the election. The mainstream media, which now includes Fox News, because they've become no better than MSLSD and other whores of the liberal left news media, call Biden the president-elect. He's not the president-elect. There are only two ways he can become the president-elect. One way is if Trump concedes the election, and he's rightfully not going to do that because of all the evidence of fraud. The other way is if Congress certifies the electors of the Electoral College as voting for Biden, and we're a long way from that. Due to the intellectual laziness of the American people and the continued propaganda of the mainstream media, even those who consider themselves conservatives are beginning to refer to Biden as the president-elect. If this includes you, stop doing that. You do your nation a great disservice by helping to promote the lie that Biden is the president elect. He's not. Now, about me being wrong to decide to remain silent after the election. I foolishly expected things to be fought out by the lawyers and that we'd be kept informed of the developments, but I didn't take into account that the mainstream media would double down on its efforts and bias against Trump, and therefore against America and Americans. Because the treasonous enemies, and you can be assured that they're both treasonous and enemies, So, because these treasonous enemies continue to fight, we're obligated to get in there and fight ourselves. That's just part of being Catholic. Being a Catholic has great benefits and privileges, but it also has massive responsibilities. Anything worth having has massive responsibilities. Remember my oft-time repeated motto, comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. Why fight? Uh, A six-pack family, determining who's going to be the president doesn't really have a thing in the world to do with what's going on. This is about the continued existence of the United States of America as a democratic republic. If Democrats are allowed to get away with the greatest voter fraud in American history, we'll lose our country. Democrats already pretty much ignore the Constitution, but if they get away with this, they'll change the Constitution without our approval. Don't think they can't or won't. They'll just invoke an unconstitutional tyranny on Americans so badly, we won't have a choice but to fight, physically. Thomas Jefferson said, when tyranny becomes law, rebellion becomes duty. As an Army veteran and practicing Catholic, I've got zero respect for Catholic Americans who aren't willing to fight and, if necessary, die for God, His Church, and our country. I'm in a wheelchair and unable to do as I could when I was young, but I'm still willing to sacrifice myself for God and country, if need be. In those moments when I've been most frustrated with modern Americans, I've been tempted to begin a movement to change a few words in our national anthem. You know, those words that say we're the land of the free and home of the brave? I've been tempted to change them to saying land of the enslaved and home of the wimp. I'm just saying. I began predicting a civil war in America four years ago, and began to publicly voice my concerns about three months before the election. I continue to pray that we won't have a war, but I'm more convinced than ever that it's going to happen, and it would certainly meet the theological criteria of a just war. If a war does happen, and 71% of Americans think it will, be prepared to fight the good fight. Don't be pacifistic because pacifism is a heresy. Whether there's a war or not, there are things going on right now with the Trump campaign to save our constitutional democratic republic. If you haven't read it yet, you ought to look for the lawsuit filed by Sidney Powell in Georgia. I've read the entire 104-page complaint. Admittedly, legal briefs are real yawners, but this is a great and hope-filled read. Sidney has included everything but the kitchen sink. She asked the court to set aside the 2020 general election results, which fraudulently concluded that Mr. Biden defeated President Trump by 12,670 votes because of both evident fraud and multiple violations of the Constitution and Georgia's laws in the running of the election. In her complaint, Powell wrote, quote, "...the fraud was executed by many means, but the most fundamentally troubling, insidious, and egregious is the systematic adaptation of old-fashioned ballot stuffing. It has now been amplified and rendered virtually invisible by computer software created and run by domestic and foreign actors for that very purpose." Mathematical and statistical anomalies rising to the level of impossibilities, as shown by affidavits of multiple witnesses, documentation, and expert testimony, evince this scheme across the state of Georgia. End quote. The multiple witnesses include a whistleblower, who is presumably a former employee of the company that developed the voting machines software used in nearly all the disputed jurisdictions. This whistleblower under pain of perjury, wrote, Smartmatic's electoral technology was called Electoral Management System. Smartmatic was a pioneer in this area of computing systems. Their system provided for transmission of voting over the internet to a computerized central tabulating center. The voting machines themselves had a digital display, fingerprint recognition feature to identify the voter, and printed out the voter's ballot. The voter's thumbprint was linked to a computerized record of that voter's identity. Smartmatic created and operated the entire system, end quote. According to Powell's complaint, a core requirement of the Smartmatic software design was the software's ability to hide its manipulation of votes from any audit. As the whistleblower explains... Chavez was most insistent that Smartmatic designed the system in a way that the system could change the vote of each voter without being detected. He wanted the software itself to function in such a manner that if the voter were to place their thumbprint or fingerprint on a scanner, then the thumbprint would be tied to a record of the voter's name and identity as having voted, but that voter would not be tracked to change the vote. He made it clear that the system would have to be set up to not leave any evidence of a changed vote for a specific voter, and that there would be no evidence to show and nothing to contradict that name or the fingerprint or thumbprint that was going with a changed vote. Smartmatic agreed to create a system and produce the software and hardware that accomplished that result for President Chavez. Many affiants were quoted in Powell's masterful complaint. One affiant wrote, quote, I witnessed two poll workers placing already separated paper machine receipt ballots with barcodes in the Trump tray, placing them into the Biden tray. I also witnessed the same two poll workers putting the already separated paper receipt ballots in the No Vote and Jorgensen tray, and removing them and putting them inside the Biden tray. They then took out all the ballots of the Biden tray and stacked them on the table, writing on the count ballot sheet. Another affiant, a Democrat, testified in his sworn affidavit that before he was forced to move back to where he couldn't see, he had seen, quote, absentee ballots for Trump inserted into Biden's stack and counted as Biden votes. This occurred a few times, end quote. According to the complaint, an affiant, who is a network and information cybersecurity expert under sworn testimony, explains that after studying the user manual for Dominion Voting Systems Democracy software, he learned that the information about scanned ballots can be tracked inside the software system for Dominion. He said when bulk ballot scanning and tabulation begins, the ImageCast Central workstation operator will load a batch of ballots into the scanner feed tray and then start the scanning procedure within the software menu. The scanner begins to scan the ballots which were loaded into the feed tray, while the ImageCast Central software application tabulates votes in real time. Information about scanned ballots can be tracked inside the ImageCast central software. I could go on and on quoting the sworn testimony of ordinary American citizens, but I think you get the point. There was fraud on a massive scale. In addition to Sidney Powell's litigation, there are also major lawsuits filed by the Thomas More Society and the Covington Kid lawyer, Lynn Wood. And this is only Georgia we're talking about. There are also major cases ongoing through Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Nevada. Ultimately, these cases are going to be decided by the United States Supreme Court, and we can only hope they have more guts than the lower courts. So what can you do about this? How can you get into the fight? Well, for starters, you can talk to everyone you know. Marketers and small business owners realize that word-of-mouth statements from customers can either make or break a business, no matter how much marketing or public relations company does. In other words, word-of-mouth is the strongest thing there is. The same holds true here. Talking to everyone you know, posting things on chat sites, and sending out emails is very powerful. I'm one of the most isolated people I know. I'm homebound and stuck in a wheelchair, yet I reach out to more than 23,000 people every week through this podcast. Now, I've realized most of you don't have a podcast, but that shouldn't stop you from reaching the people you know. Although I have this podcast, I know hundreds of people across the country who don't listen to podcasts at all, or at least this show, but that doesn't stop me from getting the word out to them. I send out emails, make comments online on news articles, comment on social media, and voice the truth wherever I can. As a homebound shut-in and patriot, that's about all I can do, but I realize the power it has. What good does all this do if the fraud's going to be fought out in the courts? Well, think about it. Do you honestly believe the judges and justices hearing these cases don't see what's online? Do you honestly believe they aren't influenced by what they see and hear? They're most certainly aware, and they're most definitely influenced. The demonic Dems have known this for decades, which is why they're so good at it. We normal Americans make the mistake of thinking these judges and justices are neutral jurists because they're supposed to be neutral. But they're not, and that's because they're human. So get into the fight by spreading the word, by word of mouth. Another way you can help out is financially. If you're like me, you get dozens of emails every day from the Trump campaign, Judicial Watch, and other groups involved in this fight asking for money. They're not just trying to enrich themselves. This sort of legal battle is very expensive. It's true that most of the lawyers in this fight have put their own law practices on hold and are doing this for free, but lawyers' salaries are only a small part of the expenses in any legal battle. There are paralegals, secretaries, and other foot soldiers who have to be paid because they can't afford to work for free. There are also massively costly court, state, and other legal fees involved. We have to help with these expenses if we hope to save America. Over the last four years, Donald Trump has donated his presidential salary to charity. His net worth has been in decline since he assumed office. His business has suffered immensely. Yet he loves this country and the American people more than money, which is why he has suffered such financial loss. Don't you think we should sacrifice a little as well? Mrs. Sixpack and I live on our meager social security income, less than $2,000 a month. Six years ago, we were the target of identity theft. We not only lost everything we had, but ended up with about $100,000 debt. We never recovered a dime, yet we managed to find a few dollars here and there to support the president and America. That's what Catholic Americans do. I'm not trying to brag or be self-righteous here. I'm just trying to point out that if we can make sacrifices for our American way of life and religious freedom, so can you. America's future hangs in the balance here. If the demonic Dems get away with this massive fraud, America will forever change for the worse virtually overnight. As Catholics and American citizens, we have to get into this fight any way we can. God bless you, and God bless America. There's something else I want to talk about briefly. This should be of interest to all Catholics, but especially those members of the 6 family who live in Missouri. Last week, the Bishops of Missouri issued a joint statement on the COVID-19 vaccine. They issued this statement, entitled Statement of Missouri Catholic Conference on COVID-19 Vaccines, due to concerns real Catholics have over these vaccines being made from aborted fetal tissues. I'll put a link to the document in my show notes. The bottom line of this document is that you can feel free to take the vaccine, despite that babies had to die in order to make all the various vaccines. In order to justify their theological position, they cite a paragraph in a document from 2008 that was issued by the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, or CDF. After reading both the statement issued by the Missouri bishops and the CDF document, I drew the conclusion that Missouri's bishops wrongly interpreted the CDF document. Since I'm not a theologian, I sought input from theologians I know, as well as some pastors who don't have official theological credentials, but who are theologians nonetheless. In every case, they agreed with me. The one response I received from a theologian priest that I thought was most thorough took not only the moral theology into account, but also the spiritual aspects of the Missouri Bishop's statement. I'd like to read it to you now. The position taken by the bishops is actually the same as has been held for years. That is, to get the vaccine is not a sin because there's no direct involvement with the abortion and, secondly, there is such distance from the abortion that there is no real direct involvement. While there may be some truth in this, the problem I have is twofold. First, it is simply addressing the morality of receiving the vaccine. That is, this addresses only the moral responsibility of the person who chooses to be vaccinated. There is no mention of the moral problems involved in the making of the vaccine or in the means by which the ingredients were derived. I suppose one could use an analogy to buying stolen goods. If I know you stole something, it would be immoral for me to buy it from you. But if something had been stolen years ago, and I do not know that, there is no moral fault on my part if I buy it today. The problem with this idea is that it assumes I do not know it was stolen. If I know this item was stolen years ago, I either have to get it back to the rightful owner or not purchase it at all, because buying it would still be cooperating in evil since I would be knowingly purchasing stolen goods. This is where I think the bishop's reasoning breaks down. If I do not know there are fetal cells from an aborted baby in this vaccine, and I get vaccinated, there is nothing evil done on my part. But if I do know those cells are there, then there is a moral aspect to this on my part. Secondly, this addresses only the morality of the act, but it says nothing about the spiritual aspects involved. When dealing with issues revolving around demonic oppression, blood contracts are fairly major things. For instance, if you did a blood brother's contract with a friend when you were a kid, the devil, being a legalist, will claim some legal rights because of what occurred in the mixing of the blood. To have the cells of an aborted baby injected into a person may cause some significant spiritual issues that would be far worse than the blood brother's type of contract. This is an area that has not been looked into very much, but I think it's necessary. With so many problems people are experiencing today, some of them might have their root in the fact that they have in their body the cells of a baby who had been aborted. It may be distant enough for moralists to say there is no moral responsibility on the part of the person who receives the vaccine, but Satan is a legalist and will definitely claim some legal rights to the cells of a baby who was murdered. Even if there is no moral issue, which I would argue is not the case when one knows the fetal cells are in the vaccine, there are other spiritual issues that need to be considered. Because the devil is a legalist, he does not care if you knew something or not. If it was done, even unknowingly, and therefore without moral fault, he still claims some legal rights just because it was done. Now, the spiritual aspect this priest talks about is something I hadn't considered. What he says is very profound, and I'd recommend that you meditate on this. But in getting back to the moral issue, I'd like to relate to you the analogy I used in my personal response to the Missouri Bishops. Go back to the year 1943. A German lampshade maker has no materials for making lampshades due to wartime shortages. He knows that he has to find materials to make his lampshades or be forced to let a number of employees go and close his business. Everybody's livelihood will be negatively impacted. Along comes a Nazi officer who happens to have a large supply of material to sell the lampshade maker. The officer willingly acknowledges that the material is made from the skin of Jews who were gassed at a concentration camp. The lampshade maker reasons that he didn't kill these Jews, so he's not morally responsible, especially since he's so far removed from the process used to produce the material. After all, first the Jews were murdered, then their skin was removed. After that, someone had to tan the skin the way cowhide leather is tanned. So he decides he can use these Jewish skins to save his business and his employees' livelihood. This is precisely the case with the vaccines that are now seeking approval from the FDA. Now, do you think for one moment that any one of these bishops would say that the lampshade maker wouldn't be doing anything immoral? Of course not. Yet there's no difference between my analogy and these vaccines. If you find yourself agreeing with the Missouri bishops, perhaps because the whole COVID-19 thing has you scared, then you need to reconsider, put on your big boy pants, and learn to trust in God rather than man. No matter how anyone tries to justify it, these vaccines are immorally made and it would be gravely immoral to take one. The primary moral theological principle at play here is that we may never commit an evil that good may come from it.
0: Tired of false or confusing doctrine? Want to learn or teach the Catholic faith of our fathers without dilution or compromise? Then it's time for Tradovox. Tradovox is a Catholic nonprofit working with Bishop Athanasius Schneider to restore the perennial catechism of the Catholic Church. Scores of official catechisms from across the last millennium are being harnessed in an amazing new platform for teaching the faith today. Learn more and support this much-needed project at www.tradevox.com. Tradovox: giving voice to tradition. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five.
1: Hats off to National Catholic Register. In his new book, Fabio Ragona recounts exorcisms carried out by recent popes, including Pius XII, who performed one on Hitler from a distance, as well as the cases he has documented of possession in Medjugorje. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes.
0: Catholic Catholic News Pick Number number 4
1: Hats off to LifeSite News Mandatory vaccination puts the public health into the hands of convicted criminals in the pharmaceutical industry while putting the financial and personal liability on the taxpayer, Dr. Leland Stillman pointed out during a recent Truth Over Fear summit. That just makes me mad! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic
0: Catholic News Pick Pick Number
1: number 3 Hats off to Catholic News Agency. The Archbishop of Santiago, Chile, condemned arson attacks that destroyed two Chilean churches and called on Catholics to carry out acts of reparation for the attacks. Amazing! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes.
0: Catholic Catholic News Pick Number number 2
1: Hats off to Catholic News Agency. A new survey has found that one in five Catholic likely voters say they accept everything the Church teaches, with young adults being more likely than older generations to say they agree with Catholic doctrine. Uh. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic
0: News Pick Number number
1: 1 Hats off to LifeSite News. The New York State Bar Association passed a resolution advising the state to consider enacting a COVID-19 vaccination mandate for everyone in the state. Before you begin thinking this is a good thing, you need to know that the vaccine is made with biological matter from aborted babies. I will quite literally sacrifice my life rather than be complicit in the murder of a child. I hope you have the courage to do the same. That's what I'm talking about. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. I am hard, but I am fair.
0: It's time for the Catholic Boot Camp with your drill sergeant, Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Learn the Catholic faith and how to defend it like you've never heard it before. This boot camp is tough, so there's no political correctness, no spirit of Vatican II, and no namby-pamby platitudes. Drill Sergeant Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, will prepare you for spiritual war. Now, here's Joe Sixpack.
1: After serving his term as president, U.S. Grant went with his wife on a world tour. One of the stops on their trip was the Vatican. When Grant was presented to the Pope, the Holy Father said, I want to thank you for the religious privileges you granted to Catholic soldiers in your armies. Thinking back, the General couldn't recall any special privileges he'd granted to Catholics. Perceiving this, the Pope explained, I'm referring to the fact that before every battle, you told your officers to allow the Catholic soldiers an opportunity to go to confession." Grant replied rather directly, as was his manner. I did that as a military measure, because my soldiers fought better when they felt their conscience was clear. But I had no idea Your Holiness was aware of this custom. Ah, my friend, replied the Pope, there is nothing which affects my children anywhere in the world that is not known to me, and every such benefit is cordially remembered. Despite that he wasn't a Catholic, Grant understood the obvious benefit of confession, and so should all of us. If well received, the sacrament of penance restores or increases sanctifying grace, forgives our sins, obliterates eternal punishment due for mortal sins, helps us with additional strength to avoid future sins, and restores all the merits that have been lost by the commission of mortal sin. There are five elements necessary for us to be able to make a good confession. One, we must make a good examination of conscience. Two, we must be truly sorry for our sins. Three, we must resolve not to sin again. This is called a firm purpose of amendment. Four, we must confess our sins to a priest. And five, we must accept the penance the priest assigns us. Now let's begin to look at these five elements individually, beginning with a good examination of conscience. In order to make a good examination of conscience, we must make a deliberate recalling of all the sins we committed since our last good confession. This is done by going over in our minds all that's required of us by God's commandments and the Church's laws. The Church recommends that we do a brief examination of conscience each night before bedtime, which makes it much easier to do before confession. There are a number of prayer books and leaflets available that have a printed examination to help guide us. They merely list God's commandments and the Church's laws in order. Under each commandment and law are questions we should ask ourselves. The two best printed forms of an examination of conscience I've seen are found in the Queen of Apostles prayer book and the Handbook of Prayers. I'll place links to them in my show notes. Sorrow for our sins is called contrition. There are two types of contrition, perfect and imperfect. Perfect contrition is sorrow for our sins with the purest of motives. It's hatred for our sins solely for the love we have for God and the offense of our sins cause Him. According to the Council of Trent, such contrition remits venial sins and also obtains forgiveness of mortal sins if it includes the firm resolution to have recourse to sacramental confession as soon as possible. Imperfect contrition, on the other hand, is sorrow for our sins for less pure motives, for example, fear of hell. Like perfect contrition, imperfect contrition is still a gift of God, a prompting of the Holy Spirit. We experience imperfect contrition when we're sorry for our sins because we fear hell, or because of the inherent evil of sin. Although perfect contrition is obviously the better of the two, it's rare. However, we can still receive the sacrament well if we have at least imperfect contrition. The rite of the sacrament of penance allows for recital of a prayer called the act of contrition, of which there are many, and we should be sincere in the recitation of this prayer. But by act of contrition, we mean an act of the will, causing our will to be sorry for the sins we commit. We should never confuse subjective emotion with an objective act. In other words, you may not feel sorrow for your sins, but you can decide to be sorry. We should be sorry for all of our sins, including venial sins, because all sins offend God. Still, you only have to be contrite for your mortal sins. If all you're confessing is venial sins and don't have sorrow for them, recall a past mortal sin and be contrite about it. Next, the firm purpose of amendment. This is the firm resolution that you won't sin again. In order to receive God's forgiveness, you must have this firm purpose of amendment. Being resolved not to sin again isn't the same as living up to it. Yes, you should absolutely have your mind made up not to sin again, and to avoid all the occasions of sin. But let's not forget that only one human person, the Blessed Virgin Mary, went a lifetime free of all actual sin. Even though all the saints were perfect by the time they died, all of them had sinned. Even St. John Paul II went to confession every day, and no one denies he was a holy man. By the way, as holy as he was, I've often wondered what it would be like to be a fly on the wall during one of his confessions. What on earth could he possibly have to confess? Next week, we'll conclude our examination of the sacrament of penance with a look at the final two elements of those five necessary to make a good confession. Don't wait until next week's Catholic Boot Camp if you need to go to confession, though. Your priest will happily help you through a good confession. Do you have
0: an apostolate you'd like other Catholics to learn about? Maybe you have an e-commerce business and you want to build sales while supporting a holy orthodox apostolate. Whatever you want to advertise, the Cantankerous Catholic is your portal to success. The Cantankerous Catholic isn't even a year into broadcasting its weekly shows, and we're already listened to in 16 countries, all 50 states, and 101 major cities throughout the U.S. and Canada. Our listener demographics are the most sought after for advertisers. The cantankerous Catholic avatar is 53% men and 47% women, ages 18 to 34. The show's average growth rate through 2019 was 24% per week, and our listeners are Orthodox Catholics who reject heterodox Catholic positions and political correctness. Relative to other podcasts and online advertising, our rates are extremely cost-effective and inexpensive. You can advertise in each show's show notes, in the recorded episode itself, our weekly newsletter that announces each new episode, all of these media together, or in any combination. So contact us today by filling out the form on the Sponsor Kit page at cantankerouscatholic.com. Or email Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, directly at joe at to learn how you can begin driving traffic to whatever you want to promote while helping to support a worthy, orthodox, and hard-hitting apostolate.
1: The Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. She said, "...we can do no great things, only small things with great love." I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. In the year 400 B.C., word came that a vast army of Medes and Persians were crossing the sea to conquer Athens and Greece. All available soldiers were sent to hold the mountain pass near Marathon, and a messenger was dispatched to Sparta to ask the Spartans to send their army to help. The messenger chosen was Philippides. For two days and nights he ran, swam rivers, and climbed mountains until he came to Sparta and delivered his message. Then he ran all the way back to Athens with the Spartan answer. Finally, carrying his shield and spear, he ran to the army twenty-two miles away. He was just in time to fight the great battle on the seashore, where the little Greek army drove the invaders back into the sea. Once more, Philippides was chosen to carry the news. He ran all the way to Athens, and along the way he shouted, Rejoice, Athenians! We have conquered! As he came into the city, his heart burst and he fell dead into the welcoming arms of his fellow citizens. Jesus was the greater athlete, though, because he gave his life for his brethren and brought news of victory to the human race he'd fought to save. The souls in the limbo of the fathers, though they knew through Simeon, St. Joseph, and John the Baptist that the Savior was on earth and salvation was near, still had no idea it would come and never could have dreamed that the Savior himself would have to pass through the gates of death and that his soul would come to join them while his body remained in the tomb. He went into the limbo of the fathers to announce to these souls waiting there that he had reopened heaven to mankind. Every Catholic needs to be listening to the Cantankerous Catholic because this show will help you to learn to navigate through these tumultuous times as well as learn, understand, and live our Catholic faith better. You can help other Catholics find the Cantankerous Catholic much easier by leaving a review of this show at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews cause the podcasting platforms to show The Cantankerous Catholic more often, and I thank you in advance for leaving a review. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic
0: with Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy.